Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast will include mature themes and scenes. This actual play uses the Delta Green role-playing game rules by Arctream Publishing. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your handler. You're all cordially invited to a night at the opera. Thank you for joining us again on our episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your handler, Michael Diamond, for another in our Prelude series for our Delta Green games in 2023 and beyond. And so at the top of the show, as I like to do, I'd like to thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. We truly could not do it without your support. It means the world to us. If you are not a member of the Patreon backer community, you can join us at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast. We'd like to thank Arc Dream Publishing for creating such a world that we can have such fun in. So I am joined in this prelude episode by a player who will introduce themselves and tell us who you're playing. Hello, I am Nate. And tonight I'm playing Elliot Winters, a diplomatic services special agent with the U.S. Department of State, 34 years old and a proud native of Little Rock, Arkansas. Fantastic. The South has arrived, or at least a portion of it. So there's a lot of things that we could say about Elliot, and we're going to get to know Elliot as we move through this space. But I want to open our camera lens specifically on your office. You have been very recently because of some stuff that has happened in your past, which we'll, we'll get to. You've been recently transferred, probably about six months ago, to the New York Bureau. You're serving DOS specifically as a transport assistant, effectively, at this point. And you are a special agent that does a lot of interviews for state at this point. There's a reason why you're doing more interviews than normal, at least the normal that you had. And one of them is... This pain in your left knee, it has been apparent there for several years, ever since what your brain calls the incident. And you've fought it, and you've rehabilitated it, and you've tried to run on it. But this Tuesday morning, between tiny sips of coffee and the AM radio that plays in the office down the hall, the pain that runs through your knee is never ending. You have to move at the desk back and forth. You have to get up and stretch. It's not on the hour every hour, but it's pretty close. And you know it's the one thing that has held you back. And so on your way to refill your coffee cup for probably the third time this Tuesday morning, your memory drifts back to several years ago. It's 1989. And you are south of the U.S. border on a very covert set of orders to assist with the apprehension of a known 
drug trafficker. One who has, by rumor and by by Mexican newspaper, has admitted that they deal with some important occult spirits to get what they need. There's been five, six, maybe eight kidnappings in the past year at this point. You and your crew of operators have gone down to assist the Mexican government in their capture. They want this guy taken alive and have wanted him taken alive now for a couple of years. He's been in and out of all the small towns in this area of Mexico. And eventually the the Mexican government threw up their hands and said, we can't seem to stop him. Every time we get close enough to capture him, he's lucky enough to get away. And we need help. We truly need assistance. And so through some back channels, uh, a group there was put together and orders are probably given out right after the end of the Reagan administration. So it'd be George H.W.'s administration. But uh, you got the green light. You and a team of four other operators to go down there and orders were essentially to sort it out. This is a long-term operation. You can even remember still the the foliage of some of the more forested areas down there that you picked your way through. Trusty rifle attached to you on a sling, all kitted out as necessary. You've got translators in a group of seven total. And you picked your way through to a ranch that existed down there. And your memory floods back to you sitting just on this small hill rise a series of trees in front of you to hide you from anybody who might be working at the ranch. And you can see through your your binoculars here that there are four or five workers and a couple of small pickup trucks. And there's a barn there. You haven't seen any animals come in and out of, just men. So one of the younger guys turns to you. His name is James, and he says... So you know, you sit here all morning, sweating. If this is the place, can we just get this over with? We're going to get this over with. Don't you worry, James. But as you know, field work is the thing that gets you successful in a operation like this. Zipperman has is, is, is been all up and down this area, and we have to take our time here. It'll pay off. Don't you worry. He scratches the five o'clock shadow on his face and pulls another simple easy draft of his canteen and slams the lid shut. I mean, the last place we were at. Animal sacrifice, all sorts of crazy stuff. Who are these people? Well, James, when I'm watching that barn, you know what I'm noticing? We've seen a lot of activity, right? Mm-hmm. Folks going in, folks going out. Notice a couple of things. I ain't noticed no women. All men. Which on a ranch? Okay, but something a little bit odd, I think, about that. And and breathe deep, James. I mean, we're in the middle of a ranch, and I don't smell any animals, James. I don't smell any cows, horses, crops. I think he picked this place for a reason, and the reason is it's far away from everything. Ain't no one going to hear anything in this ranch. You know what that means to me, James? Ain't no one going to hear us if we need help either, so we have to be careful. And when we move, we have to move decisive. He nods in agreement. I just... I don't do well with the whole voodoo thing, man. You know, I, I'm not into it. Just think of it as any other religion. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to disbelieve. All you have to know is 
If that other person believes in it, it means something to them. And if it means something to them, that might be something we can use. It's all you have to care about. There's a, uh, a taller man that's with you two in your operating team. His name is Theodore. You call him Teddy. He's six foot five, a uh, massively built man. And he says, narco Satanists, I got no time for. I believe in one thing, and that's Lord God above. And he put me on this plan to do two things. One of them is to clear off anybody that don't believe in him. And the second one is to protect America's interest. And if government's good enough to send us down here, we damn well going to do the right job. Teddy's got it right there. What your Lord Jesus and, and what the United States wants is in alignment, Teddy. But so far, so good. But... There's a hush you get from your translator. You see him just slightly up ahead. He motions for people to get down. It's a, a movement and a motion you're familiar with. And so everybody sort of lines right up and just eases back down. And you see another truck, a third one now approach the warehouse and why don't you give me an, an alertness roll alertness roll first roll oh 44 out of 50 i see that yeah, it's perfectly fine 44 is a critical sus it's actually one of the better types of critical success you have because it's right below your actual skill number you pick out a really important detail when this truck stops and that is a mexican man gets out of it you can see him through your binoculars. His black hair is, is cut into a rat tail mullet. He's got a, looks like a, a flannel with sleeves cut off. And when he gets out of the truck, he heads to the back of it and you see him pull a struggling young woman off the back of the truck. And she has been tied up with her arms behind her back. And you can see that she is gagged. And as he pulls her off this truck, there's a, a wide range of the ranch in front of you before the warehouse. It's probably 150 yards. And so you are straining with those binoculars to see super fine detail. But you see that they're struggling. And he gets her off the back of the truck. And you can see that he's walking her towards this barn, this big warehouse door. Okay, okay, okay. Look sharp. This is why he's called Zipperman right here. You see him yank open the door to the warehouse you see a couple of other arms from inside the warehouse. Men grab her and bring her inside. And then the guy with the rat telma looks around for a second. And he almost seems to look into the air around. And then he heads inside. Do we have an identification of this person we are after? You do. Can we confirm or deny that we've seen him? Or was that him? Who's our main target? You look down at Teddy, who has pulled a... Polaroid, likely off of some of the detail reports you were initially given. He goes, that's our guy. That's got to be our guy. You can see that he's got a, sort of a single lens binocular that's looking down the field. It's that same stupid mullet. <sighs> James, Teddy, now you know, Dr. Nood say we, we give it a minute, let this get started. That's the safest way for us to apprehend, but I don't feel real good about that. I'm going to suggest maybe a little alteration in our in our operation here and I'm going to suggest we we move in and try and save that girl and don't use her as we normally would because he's done enough damage. He nods. You sort of see him re-secure his weapon for movement. And it's about that time that the coffee from the coffee pot hits the bottom of your cup. And you remember thinking back to yourself, if I hadn't changed the plan, if I hadn't, if I'd stayed within operating procedure, maybe things would have been different. As you sort of finish 
filling your mug and you turn, you can see clear as day across the cafeteria here, the green field of that ranch. And you see yourself from a bird's eye view as the line of your team begins to make its way across the field. You were able to get right up next to the warehouse. Your team fanned out just as you told them to, to this way, to this way. You left the translator back knowing that he wouldn't be any good in the immediate sense. And you watch your team crawl around the outside of that building like a spider warming up against its freshly grabbed prey. And that's when bullets start flying. And you walk back to the office through the reports the different firing arcs that were set up and the horrors that come from inside of the warehouses. The team bursts through windows and doors forcefully to try to secure this innocent that's about to be rendered from this universe. And inside that warehouse, there was an abomination of depravity that had happened. You remember seeing that feeding bin normally reserved for horses or for cows had been filled to the brim with some sort of slurry of blood and flesh. You remember seeing your target, the zipper man, use his fresh hostage as a shield and you'd backed him into a corner. Teddy and some of the other team members had taken care to make sure others were eliminated before any of that had happened. And you had backed him all the way up onto this ladder and this attic area. There's no way for him to get out. But somehow, some way, he'd found his way to an upper window and you had heard the glass shatter. And you remember sending a couple of your men outside. And it really isn't until you breach the the doorway of your office again a slight limp because of the pain that you remember him firing his pistol down through the wood and you get this simple but yet inexorable glancing shot that goes off that knee and you buckle because it rends the ligaments vertically snapping several of them at once you remember the heat the pain the pressure of trying to stand back up in the moment. And adrenaline gets you half the way there, but you have to hold on to the side of a a stair railing as your fellow compatriots finally take the zipper man, even if they're forced to kill him. Data entry hasn't been the best part of the new job. Rehabilitation came and went, not once, but twice. Testing has come once, now twice. The letter from the office of your... CO wasn't real easy to read. It's pretty clear that to them, you're going to have to pass that portion of the physical test to get back where you're supposed to be. I'm not sure you know if you can do that yet. I'm reading between the lines of my last message from my CO and I'm getting the sinking feeling that they think maybe the best place for me is is right where I am right now. I'm not willing to believe that, but I think they are losing hope. There's a knock at your door. It's probably 10.30. The day's 
reminiscing has come and gone for the moment and you have a secretary her name is Shelly and she stops in with a stack of mail now mail can come in a lot of different forms most of it is just really interdepartment required pieces of mail but you get updates on all sorts of different cases that you've worked in the past sometimes you get appearance requirements at court sometimes you don't but one of the letters she dropped off gives you a little bit of hope and it's from a local FBI contact it looks like locally here that might be looking for a little bit of assistance on a recon project take a look at the envelope crack it open do I uh, recognize any names no not entirely the FBI office in New York is pretty big but the agent here is an agent Hull he works out of the local FBI office and uh, he seems to be keyed in with DOD and DOE is Shelly still here? yeah she is Shelly you've been in this area a little bit longer than me Um, you recognize this fella? Uh, agent Hull? She looks at the letter and sort of scans the bottom of it. I think I've heard his name, yeah. Well, this looks interesting. I think he worked a uh, Department of Energy case a couple of years ago here. Had to deal with um, something with submarines. wonder how he found me. I don't know. I mean, the FBI finds pretty much everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is the job, I guess. I'm going to give him a call. Elliot's a more of a direct sort of guy especially as a recent desk jockey. So pick up a phone and maybe use my computer that I have developed some skills with as I've been rehabilitating and doing new tasks. Look up this guy and see if I have any contact information, but I'm just going to ring him up direct. You take the quickest and easiest path at this point and you pick the phone up. And uh, after three or four rings, you get a tone on the phone that sounds like it's going through probably a government phone system, something like that. It's a very long tone. There's a pause, and then there's a series of clicks, and then you hear a voice on the other end. Agent Hull? Agent Hull, this is uh, Special Agent Winners over at DOS. I got your letter. Oh, Winners. Perfect. I was hoping you'd give us a call. I talked with a Theodore Roseman. You probably call him Teddy. Teddy? Yeah, Teddy. Big guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's, How's he doing? Uh, Teddy's great. Yeah, uh, fantastic, actually. I guess he served with you uh, in the late 80s, somewhere down south, he said? Yeah, we saw we saw some pretty hairy action. Roseman is working a, a detail in D.C., and he's having me fill in on something for him that he would normally be doing here. We're looking into some matters for state. They're asking us to sort of assist, which we're happy to do. No problem. And uh, as part of the assistance package, we get a chance to call on some agents. And I figured, given that this normally be Teddy's space, it wouldn't be right to not pull you in on it. Oh, well, consider me interested. Is this a state operation or an FBI operation? This is... it's complex. I'll just put it like that. Fair enough. There's a lot of players in the water here. There's people who are very interested in trying to figure out who's in charge. There's... Differences of opinion on multiple three-letter networks you can imagine. Well, that is just standard operating procedure whenever we get more than one of us in a room. So I I hear you loud and clear, Hull. How can I help? Okay, there's a warehouse that we've had our eye on. 
a couple of years ago here, I was doing some, I was doing an anti-smuggling bit here, trying to break up one pretty nasty people who were trying to falsify documentation so they could ship out fissile material potentially. And uh, we got them roped up pretty good. Now that that's over, we're sort of making sure that none of the roaches see the light of day. And this warehouse supposedly is something that Roseman was on and just never got a chance to pull the trigger on, so to speak. And what we need is to do a few interviews, talk to some people, figure out if what they're saying is on the level or not. And from what Teddy said, you, uh, you've got a developed sense of charm. Maybe it's that Southern in you. Teddy always was a, a softy. Yeah, and uh, I've been doing a, a fair amount of that. Now, it sounds like we're all in the up and up, but by, by rights, I'm supposed to tell you, I'm not cleared at this moment for forward operations. And, and field work doesn't sound like we're talking about that, but I, I have been instructed very cleanly and clearly by my CEO that I need to start reminding people of that and not forgetting about it. So I'm on the up and up now. It's me. I'm, I'm a straight and narrow guy. Hard to uh, get out of that old dog life, I understand. I don't foresee this being any sort of frontline action. I think this is a couple of simple interviews. We're going to ask some particular questions and they'll be back up there in case uh, anything goes awry. Sounds right up my alley, talking to scum. Um, I've got I've got a way with it. So when and where? And I'll uh, put it in my calendar and see. Uh, talk to my secretary to see how we can slot this in. Well, the first set is supposed to be for tomorrow night. There's a, uh, a detail that we're working. There's some local guys that are keeping an eyeball on things. But obviously, we can only have NYPD in the area for so long before people get a little itchy. So this is going to be down in Queens. I'll send you an address to a dock. We'll meet outside of it. Sounds perfect for me. He gives you the address in Queens that he wants you to go to. It's actually not too far from JFK. Near a couple of seafood markets, that sort of thing. It's not the most affluent space you can imagine in Queens, but uh, not a terrible place by any means. This address you just gave me, this is the warehouse that you've been staking out for a while, or is this a different location? So this address here in Queens is where the warehouse is at. Any special instructions on approach? Yeah, don't bring any traditional vehicle. Got it. I don't expect any trouble, like I said. I don't expect any sort of action, but... Obviously, I'm not going to tell you not to come armed if you feel it's better for you. I don't trust these people, and you shouldn't either. Yeah, I usually like to carry a little bit of backup. I appreciate that. Yeah, so the warehouse that he gives you directions to, or at least a number to, is something that's fairly close to JFK, but it's put back into a smaller sort of industrial portion. It looks like there's a, a small industrial park with a couple of commercial sites and then maybe like a, a trucking center nearby. And you get from the address and some information that you have locally that just, just a map of the area, really, that there are a couple of smaller transportation businesses around here that operate a series of warehouse buildings for storage and transport. You meet the agent in question at a coffee shop nearby. Kind of a dingy place that 24-hour time never sort of seems to catch hold of. There's a lot of truck drivers here. There's a lot of very simple travelers, people that got lost probably on the way to JFK end up here. The pie is good, but it's mostly a greasy spoon. 
I will pull up in my 1987 Ford Ranger, my personal vehicle. And I looked at all I saw were cop and FBI cars from a mile away. So I decided to take the agent's advice to heart. Yeah, there's a, probably a smattering of different vehicles parked out here. Trucks, sedans, etc. There's a couple of, probably a couple of semi-trucks parked on the lot. Just sort of a little bit further beyond the doors. You can hear the crank of the diesel engine in the background as it sort of continues to stay warm. We'll just say it's probably a, a crisp spring 1995 evening. Not terribly cold by any chance, but the proximity to the water dips the temperature down probably a little further than it would be inland. And when you enter the greasy spoon here, this little truck stop to get coffee, you get waved over to a table by a guy in a windbreaker and a polo. He screams cop, but that's just sort of the way the image goes. He's got a regular old G-Man haircut. He's clean-shaven. He's probably in his mid-40s, give or take. And he gestures to the seat. It's a an orange booth, probably faded from years of traffic in and out from all sorts of different butts that have been in and out of the seats. There's a little phrase and cracks in the side of the table that belie the regularly nice fixtures in here. Slide in. Winters, how you doing? And I'll hold a hand out. He shakes your hand. He's got a reasonably good grip. Hull. Agent Hull. FBI. Good to meet you in person. Yeah, for sure. He passes you a manila envelope. This is the readout. Three guys, all Mexican, likely scared for their lives. The big group of them we busted about probably 12, 16 months ago. We ended up taking the lead for their little gang to court, and he won't be coming out anytime soon. Now, they're trying to move product, the leftovers, to make up for what the guys in Latin America have been asking for for almost two years. There's been two of these guys of their group of five that were taken out throughout the interim period of time because somebody down south got a little bored of waiting. We know they're scared. So they are headless Without and their leadership is gone. They are scared. Well, that's, a, that's a pretty tidy situation. I'll open the manila folder, look through the records. I'll just scan photos and names and locations, anything familiar. And if it's just random background. Yeah, it's, it's mostly random background. Some a couple of things you key in on, on. One of the guys drives a beige station wagon. It's got uh, Connecticut plates. That's one thing that they have found. They're mostly hold up in there under the pretense that they're working transportation back and forth between some of the other carriers that are nearby, that they're a sort of intermodal hub. They they don't actually have, it's clear in the evidence here that they don't actually yet have a complete evidence trail that links them. So you think that's probably what Hull is going after. He's going after hard evidence to link them to what their compatriots were doing. And because he doesn't have any evidence yet, he has not been able to probably obtain a warrant with probable cause to search the building. And so you can see the play here, right? So the play is get them to talk, get them to admit something. And then at the very least, if everything stays kosher, get someone on the record and then get that probable cause, get the warrant and then get what you need. All right. You got them under surveillance. You got any ideas on uh, their habits? They leave at the same time, they go in the same time. 
There's always two of them in there at the same time. One guy leaves, he comes back, somebody else leaves, the other people stay. They're very careful. They've basically covered most of the windows. They're smart, though. They haven't done anything from um, an ordinance angle that we can pop them for just yet. I mean, we I've looked for a couple of different ways. What we need to do is be able to get in there and ascertain if they still have the product on site, which we believe that they do. If we can get around some of this jurisdictional nonsense and get a warrant. All right. Well, maybe I'll poke around. That guy, he points to one of the sheets of paper that you're looking at. His name's Hector. He's sort of their front man. Big, thick, jowly motherfucker. He's not more than 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, but the guy's built like a brick shit house. He's done some serious labor, and there's we're pretty sure he did some time in Mexico. Any weak link? Yeah, I think so. They got a kid in there, one of the three. He's 19. They call him Jojo. Jojo really, really wants to just go home. But the problem is, is that he's the only one of the three that have a valid driver's license and a CDL. And so he can't really go anywhere. Well, until the job's done. Hmm. Whose kid is it? Do we know? We don't. He kind of popped up out of nowhere for a while. But you're pretty sure it's one of these three. Okay. That might be an interesting angle. How do you feel about um, scaring a 19-year-old? I feel fine with it. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. The third guy is Luis. He's sort of their interpreter. He speaks English real well from what we've heard at some of the pit stops around here. I had a guy who overheard him talk on a payphone. He speaks English pretty well, but he's smart enough to know when to play dumb. And I'm sorry, what did you say the kid's name was? Jojo. Jojo. Hector, Louise, and Jojo, the three stooges. All right. Well, I like this kid. I like the kid, and I like the two that have already gotten popped. Once you start picking up heat from the southern management, it doesn't stop. And that is it's a scary situation for them, no matter how hard they think they are. Wondering if maybe I can have a little conversation with Jojo, give him a little taste of what he might be uh, missing on the other side. Certainly there's a comfy place I can find for him at Rikers. Or just go take a look and whoever's not inside, that's the one I talk to. Just use that luck of the draw as well. I'm, I'm a faithful man. Well, there's at least two of them there. I know that because there's always at least two. So I think I'd like to set up, unless he has more information, anything good for me, I'd like to set up just a little bit of a, a, a stakeout watch for an hour, couple hours, see if I can see any any sort of patterns. Do trucks show up and leave? Is it just completely quiet? Do they, there's two and one goes and is it, are these sleep schedules? Are they break schedules? Like just anything that I could suss out. Yeah, you watch them for a couple of hours. It's not terribly hard to find a place to park the, the truck reasonably close to surveil the front door. You know, it's after five or six at this point, and so most of the uh, day shift folks have gone, but you tuck your truck behind a, a white van that's nearby, just a simple painter's van. And uh, when you do, you get a good long look at this building from the comfort of your own truck. Lights go off probably about 6.30, most of the office lights. It looks like there's a couple of lights maybe that are on in the warehouse. These are those big sodium lights that are probably sitting up in the rafters somewhere 
and sort of give a, a dim glow to some of the back lights. There's a single vehicle in front of the main door here, the main office door, and that's that sort of beige station wagon. It's got to be mid-70s. There is a an 18-wheeler that's on the lot in the back. You're not sure if it's moved recently or not, but lights are definitely off and there's nobody in it. This Patterns Day is pretty similar for about the first hour, hour and a half. At 8 o'clock, a small Chevette pulls up. It's blue. It's got some dim lights and it idles for a second. And a guy gets out of it. He's got a, a dark blue jacket on that's sort of cut diagonally along the back with a splash of red. And there's a big Domino's logo on the back. And he gets out with a pizza. And you see somebody come to the door. And it's a younger guy. And he hands this guy cash and then takes the pizza. And you watch as he pulls the door shut. There's almost a bit of an extra yank to that front office door. It's probably one of those glass doors with the black metal frames that is just a little bit off its lineup. And so he has to sort of pull hard and then you can see him lock the door from the inside. And he steps back inside and deeper into the office. If I can, I'll grab the license plate of the station wagon. Just normal habits. Uh, if there's any markings or if I can get a plate off that 18-wheeler, I'll have called it in probably to Shelley, just as a, here's some information kind of thing. And then I think I will let Hall know that I'm going to make a little bit of a move. So I don't know if there's any backup situation here or anything like that, but I'll tell him I'm on a move and I'm going to call... What is this, 1995? I might have like a Sony Ericsson or something, I guess. I might have a cell phone, yeah. I'm going to have. I'm gonna call Domino's and have them deliver me a pizza to my car. I got to think if they would do that. I'm going to give them the address of where we are. Hey, we need another one. You just delivered. When I see the delivery guy, I'll stop and take it. Pay him normally. No, nothing weird. Okay. Just paying for the pizza at the, outside the gate. And I'm going to walk to the front door of the warehouse. Okay, you walk to the front door. And I'm going to bang on it. You bang on the front door. You can hear the metal frame is a little jittery when you bang on it. And after a minute or two, probably the second time you end up banging on the door, mm -hmm. you see a younger kid. He's got a, a tussle of black hair and this meekly growing mustache come to the door. He's got a, a white t-shirt on and it's got a sort of black and white Bruce Springsteen logo on the front of it. Mm-hmm. He comes to the door and he looks a little confused. You can tell immediately he has a strange look on his face and he cranks open the door and sticks his head out and he's like, can I help you? Yeah, we made a mistake. So I'm so sorry. So they sent me back to fix it and displaying and brandishing the Domino's pizza box clearly. Why don't you give me a persuade roll uh, versus his human and we'll see if um see how you do. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, a 96 out of 70. I have a really good persuade. You do. Um, he's failed his human role, so he sort of stands there for a second, and he goes, I, there wasn't anything wrong with our pizza, man. We got a call. We got a complaint. And you said it was all messed Someone said it was all messed up, and so we rushed down here to make it right. And I'm trying to get a, a bead on the location, him, the building, is he armed? Like, every, all the details that I might be able to 
suss out while I'm having this interaction. Any cameras, any security. So that's my real intent is getting him out. And, and, and if he steps out at all, I'm not holding the pizza close enough for him. He would need to step out a little bit and, and grab it. And I'm hoping he's going to grab it because if he does, I want to grab his arm. But I'm just playing the, hey, you know, we came right down as soon as we got the complaint. I'm so sorry. So why don't you give me a human roll to see if you can notice anything about his body language or notice anything about sort of his general makeup, attitude, intentions. 67 out of 60. Yeah, you're not sure. He looks a little skittish at first. You don't visually pick up on any cues other than he simply doesn't have a lot of trust in what you're saying. And you see him go to the handle of the door again and sort of begin to pull it shut. And he's like, no, man, I I don't know about this. Our pizza was fine. Nobody called. And so I'll sort of change my demeanor a little bit. I'll lean in a little bit and I'll say, Jojo, it'd do you very good for you to take this pizza. It'd be a really good move for your career and it'd be a really good move for your immediate future. For you to take this pizza and for us to have a little bit of a conversation. Okay. So that is definitely Persuade. It is 89 over 70. He slams the door shut. And you can see him trying to fumble with the lock. And you hear him begin raising his voice inside in Spanish. This was such a seamless plan if I had been able to roll under an 80. Technically, it'd probably be illegal if I do anything more. I'm going to hip check the door because I know it doesn't close. And so I'm going to hip check the door. I'm going to throw the pizza in. And because he's on the other side, I'm going to try and drag him out and then close the door behind me. So hip checking the door open is not a problem for you at all. Putting enough weight against the door, it easily pops off before you can completely lock it down. Uh, He sort of skitters back a little bit. You'll reach with unarmed combat to grab him. He will be dodging. Finally, I got a five out of 60. Jojo got a 93. Uh, So he absolutely doesn't dodge. You grab onto his arm and you can pull him back out the door. We'll say this round. Pizza going basically everywhere. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You hear him begin to complain. Pull the doors. Jojo, I know all about the South. I know all about management. I know all all about how unhappy they are with the operation in here. And I want to help you before they come and clean up the rest of your crew. You're the only one with any sense. Hector, Louise, they're already done for. And I'll probably use, I'll probably have some knowledge of narco and Mexican cartel from my history. So I'll use some of that language to give weight to this idea. And I'm talking too quick. I'm here to get him away before narcos come and and finish the job that they've already begun because they are done and see if that works. Okay. That's Persuade. That's what I needed. A 66 out of 70. So that's a critical success. You're able to pull Jojo away, away from the front of the building and you get it through to him somehow, some way like a bolt of lightning. And you see him look up into your eyes full on panic mode. And he says, I don't even want to be here. I, want, I wanted to go home for months. And all they do is they keep 
I keep trying to move this stuff. And I kept trying to tell him, no, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. My mama wants me home. I want you home too, Jojo. I want to get you out of this situation. I want to get you home. What's the stuff? It's this drug. They cut it. They cut it with something from, I don't know, it's something they keep in the fridge in there. There's a refrigeration truck in there. It's been hooked up for months. And whatever product that they have, I don't know where they got it from. They've been cutting cocaine with it. And they've been putting it out on the market. He sort of begins to sweat a little bit. People keep dying. People try it for a couple times, they end up dead. What's your street name of this stuff? Or is it a logo? How do you how, how do you market this stuff? He reaches down into his pocket. And you see him pull out a empty plastic bag. It looks like it's unused. It's a baggie, just as you would see it, and something might put cocaine or anything else into. And you see that there's a there's some sort of logo on it. It doesn't make any sense to you, though. It doesn't look like a logo. It looks like scribbling. They keep scribbling this stuff on these bags, and they fill it with this, I don't know, some kind of powder. And you're supposed to snort it, but all the people that I've delivered it to keep telling me that they can't use it anymore. That people keep ending up dead over it. Jojo, you're a smart young man, and you've got a choice in front of you right now. That choice is to begin your life coming in with me. We'll figure this out. We'll get you back home or walking back in that door and and probably dying the next time you go out and do a delivery. You're a man. You're an adult. You have to make the choice yourself, Jojo. I know what I hope you do, but you have to make the choice now because we have to make a move. He nods his head. I'm okay. I'm ready. I'll go. I'll go right now. Come on, young man. And then I'll lead him over to the ranger, buckle him in lock the doors, and and head back out to wherever my rendezvous with Hall might be. If I don't have one, I'll call him on the phone and set one up. Yeah, you don't have one set up just yet. So you get on the Ericsson and you dial the only number that you have for him. It rings for a considerable amount of time, and then you hear a couple of clicks, and you hear a voice on the other end of the line, and it says, Elliot, what happened? We're all good. We got all the information you need. You've got a witness got a confirmation of drug activity they're cutting cocaine in there and selling it on the street under um i can't really figure out what it's called but um and i'm bringing your witness in you bringing him in yeah i thought we would uh move pretty quick on this and get you get you all sorted out as fast as possible it was sort of a spur of the moment decision you know how things are i'll let um you hear jojo speak up they call it emerald bicho it's a yellow bug did you hear that, Hall? The street name on that? Yeah, I heard Amarillo something. You're really fuzzy where you're at. Are you driving? Yeah, we're driving. I had to get him uh, away from that warehouse before things went south for him. Give me an address. I'll, I'll get him to a safe house. I want you to go north. I got a place. It's near Oakland Gardens. It's probably 20 or so, 30 minutes away. It gives you an address. 73rd Avenue. It's an apartment place. And I'll start driving towards there. Won't really talk much with Jojo. I'll just let him know. I'll just say, hey, there's going to be a lot of questions for you. Get your story straight and clear and simple. You're going to be asked to tell it over and over, probably different people. Get it straight and tell the same story every time. That's how you make this happen quick and you get home to your family and your mama as fast as possible. You can see he's uh, pretty well terrified. He's been sweating pretty profusely for the past 10, 15 minutes. Looks like he's not dealing with it very well. Are they Are they going to, like, 
Are they gonna gonna kill Luis? Are they gonna are they gonna kill him? You've gotten yourself mixed up in in a situation where either Louise and Hector get picked up and brought into custody, or yeah, the narcos will come and take care of the situation. Oh man. It's not a great situation either, or these aren't great choices that they have. But not getting picked up by the cartel is is a much better opportunity for him. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Give me a human roll. 45 out of 60. As you get into the area where the safe house is, you see the big block of apartments coming up that uh, Agent Hall had talked about. Jojo starts to look a little jaundiced. Jojo, you on your stuff? Are you taking anything? He sort of waves at you a little bit with a, a shaky hand. They tried to get me to take it tonight. And I told them no. I told them I didn't want to take any of it. And they shoved my face in it. They made me. They said it was the only way I could be part of part of the real Amarillo. Oh, so you so you, you gosh. All right, we're gonna get an ambulance. I'll get you I'll get I'll get you medical care. Take deep breaths and, and we'll get you we'll get you medical care and I'll I'll get on the phone and, and try and dial that same number again. You dial, you don't get an answer. It continues to ring after a while, and it just rings and rings. You pull up to this, I guess, relatively unassuming townhouse. Looks like it's a four-flat, two on top, two on the bottom. There are two sets of doors. There's a an area to park in back or an area to park on the street. It's a nice-looking neighborhood. Trees, street lamps, cars here are in decent repair. It looks like suburbia. Oh, we, we done found you the nicest safe house in, in town. Um, if I can, I want to park in back. I want to get my street my, my car off the street. Easily. Jojo, this is this is a safe house. You're gonna be okay here. We're gonna get you a doctor. You'll be safe here. And let's go. Just a few more minutes, you'll be fine. You'll be fine, son. You have to help him out of the car because he doesn't seem to have full control over what he's doing. You get to the house itself. You find a key under a floor mat. Just real simple stuff that basically anybody would look for. Inside this apartment, you find um, mostly sparsely furnished. There's nothing really in the fridge to eat. The water runs. The electricity works here, which is really all you need. Jojo lands in a flop sweat on the couch. It's probably circa 1970s. All the furniture in here is a little dated. And he begins to shake and hear his teeth rattle and his body convulses into this hard muscle attenuating and opening and closing. So all of these little tremors begin to appear along his skin. So I'm a child of the 60s and I was teenager in late 70s and I'm looking at that I might I might take that as a bad trip kids first hard drug experience whatever so I'm just going to give them basic care you know, get them comfortable on the couch a pillow I'm going to get some water try to get him to drink some water soothing voice 
But meanwhile, I'm looking around. Is there a first aid kit? Is there any anything that a, a, a safe house would normally have? Yeah, there's a pretty basic first aid kit under the sink, which is a place that you'd look for. Yeah, there are blankets and associated uh, sort of sick day materials that are in the pantry or in the closet in the hallway. There's a phone in case you want to call paramedics. It's not suggested that you call 911 into your safe house. That's sometimes frowned upon. I'm going to give Hull one more call, see if I can get him on the phone. And if I can't, I assume I might have a contact at the state that maybe I can, I'm not sure, but maybe I can arrange medical help in the field for an operation like that. You might be able to. Interestingly enough, as a separation for most roles, since there's no spending of it, I will allow you to, to roll luck to see if you can put a face with a name and a number. And so that is just a straight D100 high-low. All right. Roll a 76. Okay. You do come across a memory and think of a person. Uh, you think of a, a guy named uh, Mark Laughlin who was... Uh, who did paramedic stuff for years and has served on a local fire department. You know that if you could get a hold of Mark, he would come in an instant because he's he's trained. The issue is, is that the number that you have for him has been disconnected. Jojo continues to convulse. He does not improve. Just looking at his skin, the lines that are being suddenly drawn on him draw you to him away from the phone receiver you can see in the pattern of veins in his flexing muscles that underneath the skin there in his veins there is that jaundicing color that's beginning to move through him there is a quick two sound knock from the door and you see agent hall step in and close the door how bad is he I'm not a doc, I'm not a medic, but I think he's going to die if he doesn't get some care soon. He he got into the stuff that they're selling. I think they, they forced him to take it today, and he's on a real bad trip, and I don't like the way he's looking. You see Agent Hall take out a small leather case from his coat. It's no bigger than uh, a zipper-closed first aid kit. You might carry a Palm Pilot or something like that in effect in it, and he has couple of syringes in it you see him set it by the on the end table and begin drawing this fluid out of one of the bottles into it he is going into shock he's probably already in shock this stuff is pumping through his system this terrible shit he flicks the end of the needle to make sure he's got a solid flow through for the medicine he gestures to you with the syringe I am going to administer this to him it may be his only hope. He gestures to Jojo and says, I need you to hold him still. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. So one of my motivations is literally the war on drugs. And it is that political notion. I mean, I was a Reagan boy and you know, I was in the international narcotic investigative trade and all of that. That's been throughout my life. So I think there is 
something about this situation that really is going to make Elliot Winters incredibly angry and sad and just trigger all of the reasons why he does what he does. And, and, and he'll nod. Yes, absolutely. He'll grab the kid and he'll hold him tight, knowing that sometimes the medicine hurts as much as the poison. And he will be 100% committed to this course of action. Okay. Agent Hall steps in and he administers this clear fluid. And as he does, Jojo begins to rack with this unbelievable convulsions, these muscle tremors take over his body like in a wave again. And you can see his body fight what's being administered. He hasn't made a ton of sound that's intelligible in the past 10 or 15 minutes since you've had him in here. And when you see his neck muscles strain to the sort of nth degree, you hear Jojo call out for his mother. You hear him plead for help, help that never comes. He eventually relaxes. And then the tough part for you is his body relaxes that second time. You feel the air escape him and just not come back. Come on, come on, come on, Jojo, Jojo. And I will start inexpertly administering CPR and chest compressions and C95. It would have probably been five and three still, five chest compressions and three breaths and five and you know, staying alive by the BGs in my head. And, but, and I think a couple tears might squeeze out its exertion from the chest compressions. It's, that's all that is as this is happening. You are welcome to roll first aid if you'd like. And appropriately enough, a 90 out of 10. I'm going to have you roll sanity for me. 53 out of 65. So Jojo, in the grand scheme of things to you, is merely a pin drop in all of the people that you have met. But you see him lose the war on drugs in front of you. And you don't take any sand loss for it, but you are marked inexorably by the helplessness of this moment. And you can see that same sort of feeling in Agent Hall, who has frustratingly put away his kit and seems to try to steady himself. Jojo's body beneath you is marked by something. The lines on the bag that you saw are playing out over his veins. You see some of his veins still with that almost dirty yellow coloring. You see them intertwine at the wrist. And just for a moment, that logo matches before it fades. But it was there. You did everything you could, Hall says in a somewhat half-hearted gesture to make you feel better about what happened. Yeah, everything we could. And it wasn't worth a hill of beans. Did you get anything out of this? 
Just going to help your investigation? Well, he confessed to you that they were dealing drugs. I'm going to take that in front of who I need to to get that place put down. And we'll pick up the rest of them. And unfortunately for Jojo, we'll have to deal with him. It's unfortunate because Jojo finally made the right decision with his life and he's here. He didn't have a chance given what he was in front of. You know who his mama is that he was calling for? By chance? No, like I said, Jojo was a kid that appeared sort of out of thin air. We didn't have a ton of records on him before he popped up on our radar. And by then, all of the regular pinnings of a normal life were, at least a, a normal U.S. citizen life, were far beyond him. Well, look, Hall, I did you a little bit of a favor here. So I want you to do me a little bit of a favor. As you do this investigation and get these last names and figure out what this connection he has with Louise and all of this, slip me some of that information. I would very much like to be able to tell this boy's mama what happened to him in this shitty little safe house in the middle of the city. Certainly. You saw it though, right? The veins? The marks. You've seen that before? They reorganized themselves into what was on this bag. I suppose it depends on what you believe. It depends on what you really think is going on. I'll be in touch, Elliot. I may have more work for you in the future. Stuff that gets to the bottom of the stuff like this. Well, I don't know if I want more work that ends like this, but I'm I'm happy to put my name in if we can actually make a difference and change something for the better. I thought a lot like that about 10 years ago. In the decade or so since then, what I've learned is sometimes the best we can do is keep things from getting any worse. Well, damn, Hall, that's a depressing thought, but I'll sit and think on that a little bit. I'll be in touch. Hall steps away and then out of the room. You hear him say something, perhaps into a phone. He comes back in and says, I've got someone coming to collect Jojo. He won't be left here, obviously. Like I said, though, I'll be in touch. Well, you got my number, and I'll be behind that desk, waiting for something. Hopefully waiting for something better than being behind that desk. Over the next couple of months, Agent Hull doesn't contact you. But let me ask a couple of questions of what Elliot might do. Is he the sort of person that would report this incident? Write it down? Journal? Talk to a therapist about it? A doctor? Elliot keeps a record... Maybe a journal. We can call it a journal. Elliot keeps a record of meaningful events that he needs to follow up on. That conversation with Hall probably would have shaken him a lot because he has a need to feel like he is doing this for some purpose or some reason. And I think all of us that grew up in the heyday of the war on drugs know that a lot of that has to be created and manufactured and fit on top of what is actually going on. So Elliot does a lot of fitting on top of what is going on. He's got a list, and some of these things are crossed out of things that he's followed up on after. That raid in the 80s where his kneecap was shattered and blown off, he had a list of names of agents that were there with him. Teddy survived, but others didn't, and followed up, talked to families, crossed those names off. 
Jojo goes on the log. And specifically, Jojo's mom. Elliot's not going to try and necessarily follow up directly with Hull. Flowers, a message, sit down, give a woman some information about her son and her son's brave and heroic decision at the end of his life. That will be a driver. So he will be doing that. He will definitely check in with the CEO and report at a very surface level. He got a call and he helped assist on a operation with an interview of a suspect and brought a suspect in for this you know, collaborative. No details. He's definitely not going to breathe a word of the strangeness that he saw with the veins and, and the changing to his CEO. He's not going to tell that to his wife. His wife and him aren't talking very much anyway, and that's that's not something that he'll bring up. He will tell it all to his stepmom, Carla. And Carla's in a home. Carla has a degenerative mental disorder. She has early stage Alzheimer's, but he tells all of his stories to his, his stepmom because his stepmom listens and is interested his stepmom doesn't remember those after a few hours. And so that's the safe place that he tells all of his wildness and all of his scariness and all. So Carla hears about it next time he visits her. So we'll close camera then on that. I'll leave you with a couple of what I would call epilogue notes. Agent Hall and his respective phone number couple weeks afterwards, go disconnected. You do manage at one point to have Shelly check on where the letter came from, because that's sort of the next calling card that you would have had and where it might have been routed from. As best guess, the post office marks it to a, a common everyday post office mail drop on just a random street in New York City. The referencing address that's on the letter itself, which of course you kept because you were investigating something, is actually a building that doesn't exist. It's a address between addresses that has never existed. But it's on a street where there's a lot of other federal buildings. So the mismatch is really easy to make. This leaves you a lot of open-end questions about Agent Hall and what his intentions actually were and who he really works for. And you get the sinking feeling that you may have been part of a government operation, one which is clandestine even for the FBI, or an agency maybe that doesn't exist. That does unnerve you a little bit, especially given your current career path, but I'd like to thank you for showing us Elliot, and hopefully we'll see Elliot very soon. So that is our episode for um, Elliot Winters, and I hope you have enjoyed the Prelude series so far. There are a couple more to get through before our agents reach the stage. Thank you and good night.